grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. How is it that you picture Jesus in your minds? That is, when you think about him. I'm not talking about his appearance. He was a typical Middle Easterner. But how do you imagine Jesus as he interacted with those around him? Do you imagine that he was gentle and kind at all times? Do you imagine that he was a friend to all? Do you imagine that he was soft-spoken, perhaps? We all have an idealized image of Jesus in our minds when we think about him. But whatever your imaginings are, they are probably wrong. In our gospel reading this evening, Jesus is rather harsh. The scribes and the Pharisees approach Jesus with an honest and fair question. Of course, we don't know the tone of the voice. We don't see that in Scripture. It could have been accusatory. It could have been out of genuine curiosity. But I suspect that it was another attempt to catch Jesus in some sort of false teaching. But regardless of their intent or tone, Jesus absolutely crushes them with his response. They are attempting to accuse Jesus of false teaching. Jesus hammers them with the law. Everything they hold dear is absolutely wrong. The practices and teachings that they have dedicated their lives to study and practice are 100% wrong. They consider themselves to be the experts on the subject, and Jesus tells them that they are the ones who are teaching false doctrine, not him. Jesus is not gentle here. He's not sensitive to their egos. He does not patiently study the topic with them, helping them come to the conclusion that their position is wrong. It does not matter that they are passing on the same doctrines and practices that they learned as children. They are wrong, and Jesus hammers them with the law. The disciples were even astounded by his harshness. They pointed out to Jesus that the scribes and Pharisees were scandalized by what he said. That's what that word means when we see that they were offended. They were scandalized by what he said. That is, they were so appalled and disgusted by what he said that they turned against him and rejected him. Jesus responded with another very harsh statement. He says, They are blind guides. They are leading themselves and others into the pit. The main accusation that Jesus makes against the scribes and Pharisees is that they made the laws of men greater than the laws of God. The law of God says that children should honor their father and their mother. And in the case that Jesus points out, If our parents are in financial need, we are expected to help provide for their needs, especially in those days where there was no such thing as a 401k or social security. The church taught, the church at the time that is, taught them that it was okay to forego that obligation if you are giving that money to the church instead. 
by saying, well, yes, I should give it to you, but I'm going to give it to the church instead, and everybody's supposed to be okay with that. This is something that we all need to keep in mind, especially as we think of those practices that are neither forbidden nor commanded in the scriptures. For indeed, there are, I wouldn't say many, but there are a lot of practices that, that were retained for good order and discipline. They were retained because they helped direct our faith towards Christ. Things we see in church all the time, things like vestments, seeing things like the church calendar, candles, and even wearing a clerical collar. We kept these things because they direct us to Christ. We need to be cautious. If these things and things like them, if they become a distraction leading us away from Christ, then they need to be rejected. If things like these lead us to say, well, only true Christians wear vestments, only true Christians have candles in their church, only true Christians follow the liturgical calendar, then we need to reconsider their use. Some practices of the church have come and gone to make a distinction against false teachers. We were just talking the other day about full immersion in baptism among some of us, that we typically don't do that just to make that point that it doesn't matter how much water is used, what matters is the word of God that washes and cleanses us. It can be a dropper full, it can be just a few drops that does it. It doesn't have to be full immersion to cleanse somebody from their sins. What's important is that the word of God is there. So there are times when these practices are, well, they're set aside for a while, depending on whether or not it, it gives the wrong impression or it makes the wrong witness in our society. But the implication made by the scribes and Pharisees was that Jesus and his disciples were unclean, that they were outside of the church because they did not wash before eating. The assumption being that eating with unwashed hands would now defile the disciples and would now defile Christ. Therefore, anything he said or did would be outside of the church. And so Jesus calls everybody to himself. Wasn't that interesting in the gospel reading? He called everybody there to him to make sure that they heard. He called them to himself and told them plainly, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. And it's when we hear this that terror strikes the heart. We must ask, ask the question, what comes out of your mouth? For sin does not begin outside of us. It does not begin with what we eat. Sin begins in the hearts. We should, we, or this should terrify and scandalize each and every one of us when we read this. Like our first parents were good at blaming others. I would not have lusted if they didn't dress that way. I would not have coveted if they didn't flash that in front of me. They know how badly I want it. I wouldn't need to cheat if the system was fair. My God, my, my, boy, I really messed up the spelling there. My boss got their position by cheating, so I have to do the same to get where I want to go. No, sin begins 
in our own hearts. And it works our way into our thoughts and comes to fruition through our actions. You read in Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Our hearts are indeed corrupt, and they need to be renewed. That's why we sing every Sunday from Psalm 51. We read the last part of it here, but it begins, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Dear saints in Christ, this is more than wishful thinking. This is what Christ does through his sinless life, through his death on the cross, and through his resurrection. It is why we pray this psalm every Sunday. The word of God is different than other written words. The word of God does what it says. It is in that sense a living word. It's not that it continues to grow and evolve. It's living in the sense that it does exactly what it says. Christ gives you new life through water and the word. Christ creates faith and forgives your sins through the same. You have a new heart. You have a heart of faith through Christ. This heart trusts in Christ and turns to him for all needs of body and soul. The scribes and Pharisees and all those outside Christ put their hope and trust in the wrong place. They put their trust in the empty ceremonies of ritual cleansing. They put their trust in their own ability to keep the law. They trust that they are good enough on their own as long as they try their best. But the message we hear repeatedly is that we can never go wrong as long as we follow our hearts. Don't listen to anyone or anything. Just follow your heart because it will never steer you wrong. Rest assured that those who offer this advice are the blind guides leading themselves and others into the pit. Through the eyes of faith, we can see clearly that our hearts are corrupt. We see how desperately we need Christ and his forgiveness. Thanks be to God that he gives us new hearts.
He turns our hearts of stones into living hearts, hearts of faith, hearts that continually cling to Christ and the forgiveness of sins for life everlasting. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.